you know, there, there were lies that I believed to be true. And if you believe a lie to be true, it's true to you. And believing that lie was detrimental to my life. But what changed the, 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 the way that I was living, how I was living, the way I felt was the word of God superseded, dismantled, destroyed that lie. And it gave me access to truth to the person of Jesus. You're listening to the FYI podcast where we talk about all things young adulting, your faith, your life, your mental health, your finances, your relationships, so much more. And I'm Josiah Keneally. And I'm Micah Keneally. We are the hosts of the FYI podcast. Today's episode is presented to you by our partners at Covenant Eyes. And whether you want to admit it or not, for a lot of men and for a lot of women, pornography is a struggle and has a stronghold in their life. If you're in a place where you want victory, freedom, there's healing, help, and hope. One of the resources we know will be a blessing to you is Covenant Eyes. This is an accountability software. You can download it across all of your devices and catch this. You can get your your first month free with the promo code young adults y-o-u-n-g-a-d-u-l-t-s young adults when you check out covenanteyes.com we will link it in the show notes as well and i want to tell you about one other amazing product it's the worth the weight journal micah Keneally, my wife the co-host of the fyi podcast has written a book it's ten dollars off during the month of february when you visit micahkeneally.com look she's written an amazing journal where you can become the author and you can pray. There's scripture in it. You can fast and journal to your future spouse and then present it on the night of your wedding to your future spouse. Micah did that for me. It's one of the most thoughtful things ever. These Worth the Weight journals are $10 off during the month of February by visiting micahkeneally.com. The link is in the show notes and here's on to today's episode. And we're so grateful. Anytime you subscribe, leave us a review, share this message with others. Today is a day where we're going to talk about redemption, finding freedom in Christ. And I am not going to read the bio of our guest. Instead, going to mix things up a little bit and just let him share his story. Mm -hmm. But before we do, I'll just say this. I don't think we've done this before, but sometimes I'll, um, we have young kids and sometimes I'll be around the house or in the car listening to a podcast with young ears. I'll just say this. We're not going to curse. You know our hearts if you listen to this podcast. Just some of the the nature of this content is going to be just like a little, real, heavier. A, little a little bit raw. And so mm-hmm. I'll just say if there's like younger ears listening, maybe just exercise caution or wisdom, but welcoming to the mm-hmm. show, our new friend, Joshua Broom. How are you today, man? So good. So glad to be here. Um, I'm I'm running on a little bit of sleep and a lot of caffeine, but uh, God is incredibly good. <laughs> oh my gosh! And man, you can say why you're running on no sleep. Well, uh, we understand as young parents, but man, can you catch us up on your life for the listener, and then go ahead and share some of your story and journey of of just life and leadership today. Yeah, so um, my wife and I, uh, my wife Hope, we've been married for eight years. We have four boys, and uh, little baby Abel was born about two weeks ago. And uh, yeah, so it's a very busy house. And so we got four kids. So Cannon is the oldest, uh, Lincoln, Judah, and Abel. And Judah's a two-year-old, and he is very upset that he's no longer the baby, even though he is still a baby. And uh, he, he just wants his mama. He wants his cuddles in the morning. 
And uh, Hope is, uh, you know, my wife is like five two, like 130 pounds. So she's, you know, this tiny person. So she's trying to hold um, both of them at the same time. But it's it's fun. It's, you know, uh, I really think about like Ephesians 3.20 and just like what what I thought I was never going to have. Like I was certain that I would never have. And, and God certainly has done exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever hope or imagine. And um, every day is a blessing. It's a challenge, but uh, I'm so blessed. I love it. Well, we're so thrilled that you are having the parental um, opportunity to <laughs> children in this day and age. And congrats on baby number four. We know that it's exciting. It's draining. And I know that our audience is thankful that you took the time with all the things going on in your life. And we're just excited to lean in some conversation today. And for the whole listener who may not know your journey or not know your story, would you just be able just to kind of just give a recap of your life and your journey and how you got maybe to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I I absolutely love sharing my story because to be frank, it's not mine. It's 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 God's, and you know, it's it's His story of this redemption arc, and that redemption is available to to any and everyone through the blood of Christ. But um, so I I grew up in a super super small town in South Carolina, and what was unique about my upbringing, um, unfortunately, it's not uncommon that I grew up without a father um, because that's a very you know common you know, thing in society today. But what was unique about my upbringing was my father was in the same small town, which me being in this close proximity, I would see him. Um, I knew, you know, nuances of his life. I knew, you know, he got married, had other kids. I would see those kids and they were, you know, well, his family was more you know, financially successful than my family. But um, that didn't bother me a ton. But what did bother me was that um, I wanted a dad and my dad was just right down the street, yet he was never in my life. And um, that's the dangerous thing about a lie. If you believe a lie to be true, it becomes true to you. And through that lie, you see yourself, you see the world, you yeah. even see God. And I believed that I was inadequate. I believed that there was something wrong with me. So like most people who have a high achiever personality, I believed I needed to overcome and to prove myself and through accolades and any any way I could obtain, you know, that uh, just uh, anything I could do to get a you know compliment or affirmation of any kind. Um, that was what I was on the hunt for. I was looking for affirmation to fill the wound that I had in my heart. And I thought if I had enough of that affirmation, it would go away. And I lived my life that way. So growing up, sports, academics, um, had to be the best, um, which isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. But if you do a good thing for the wrong reason, it becomes not a good thing. Right. And I was you know, just striving to be the best so that I could feel something. And and, you know, this this led to conquest after conquest with girls. And, you know, Romans 12, 2 talks about you're either being conformed by the world or you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And um, we're, we're supposed to go through this metamorphosis and, you know, change the way that we see ourselves so that we can change the way that we live our lives. And for me, I was being conformed by the world because I didn't have a father in my life and I didn't have anyone telling me this is the way that you should live as 
you know, not just a man, but just a, a person. Uh, my mom was amazing. She did the best that she could, but I didn't have that voice of reason in my life. I didn't have, you know, that, that, you know, that line in the sand, that morality that I needed. And, you know, until I was about seven, we went to church and then my mom um, got married. And then you know, from seven up until 30, I wasn't in church. So I didn't have anyone speaking to my life. I didn't have a father. I didn't have um, any kind of role model. I didn't have any, um, really any structure. So that paired with this deep desire to, to be loved, to be, you know, to prove myself, it led me down this road. And um, my, my new uh, affirmation drug of choice was modeling and acting. I started doing that when I was like 13, 14, um, had some success there, went to college, studied theater. Um, while I was studying theater, I, I was I continued modeling and I was having some success. And um, through just a, a, a ton of blunders and um, really just, you know, living life day by day, just doing whatever I felt like, um, I decided, well, it made sense for me to drop everything and just move to Hollywood because um, college was okay, but I, I wasn't in close proximity to this industry I wanted to be in. So I thought like I need to move to either Miami, New York or Hollywood. And even though I was having more success, success modeling than acting, I, I really wanted to um, really dive into acting more. So I chose to move to Hollywood and I got an agent and I was having some success there, but um like most people chasing their dream in a place like that, you got to get a job to pay the bills while you chase the dream. And while I was chasing the dream, uh, I met a group of girls that asked me a question that changed my life. They asked me if I wanted to do movies and they were talking about adult movies. And I said yes to doing one, not thinking that it would change my life yet. It changed the trajectory of my life because once I did that one, um, that that one compromise and what is just true across the board, compromise will always lead to further compromise. Um, so for me, that compromise, it really destroyed everything that I've been building. And my agent fired me. My parents found out. And then I was faced with this crossroads where either I'm going to acknowledge that I have really self-destructed what I was trying to do. And now I need to do something else or what's much easier to do is continuing to compromise. So I believed the lie again, I believed, well, there was nothing else I could do, but to continue doing these adult films, but certainly not true. I was 22. I, you know, I, I was, I was talented at other things. I had other opportunities that I could do things in fitness or, or other things I could do. Um, I just couldn't uh, continue pursuing the field I wanted to do. I couldn't do what I wanted to do because I messed it up. But the fact that I could do something else was true. But I chose to just continue to compromise because honestly, it was easier. And I continued in that industry. I stayed in that industry for six years and all the while believing, well, if I make enough money, if enough people know my name, if I get enough notoriety, those things will mitigate the way that I feel inside because I writ like it's so interesting. So when I sit when I sat down with the agent that really started my career in that industry, he asked me three questions. He asked me, um, how did I grow up? 
up. What was I doing in LA and what did I hope to accomplish? And I told him, you know, I, I grew up pretty much just me and my mom. Um, I was out there to do modeling and acting. And interestingly enough, I said um, what I wanted to accomplish was to be famous. And if, if you, if you take a step back, like being famous is not a thing. It's, it's fictitious. It's what you're really saying is I want to be known. I want to be loved. I want to be seen. Um, I want the thing that only a relationship with Jesus can provide me, but I'm going to pursue this counterfeit because it seems like that'll fix what my heart's longing for. Right. Because your heart's wired to desire intimacy. But if we accept that counterfeit, it's never going to fulfill us. And we're going to go on this cyclical journey. And, and that's where I was. I was just, you know, making money, doing all this stuff, but I became more dissatisfied the anxiety was amplified. The depression was deepened. And I, I ended up in a place where I was thinking about taking my life. And through a, a, a series of events where someone simply said my name, because in that industry, you don't go by your name, you go by a pseudonym. And I had made the money, I'd become famous, I'd done all the stuff, yet I found myself so miserable and I was going by this fictitious name and I, you know, the, the beautiful thing about accountability, and I, I'd love to come back to this, is that, you know, if some, if, if Josiah came to me and said, hey, uh, you're, you're, you're acting in a way that's different than, you, than who I know you to be, what, who, what you're doing doesn't align with the character I know that you have. So I could, I could do two things. I could either receive that and say, man, you know, you're right. I need to, you know, check my heart. I need to, I need to do something. I need to like, maybe I'm, I'm stressed. I'm tired. Um, maybe I'm, I've, I've allowed something into my life to distort my thinking. Or I could say, Hey, don't tell me what to do. And I could push you away. And, and what I had done at that point in time is anyone that didn't agree with the way that I was living, I pushed them away because it was either too hurtful to acknowledge that they were right. Or believing believing that they were right meant I had to change. Mm. And I didn't think changing was an option. I thought I disqualified myself from, from any and everything. And ironically, I, I wrote this down. Like the day that I was considering self-harm, I wrote down, I will never have a wife. I will never be a father. No one will ever take me seriously. And, you know, I, I walk in this bank and, you know, I deposit a check and someone says my name and, you know, jo my, my name is Joshua and Joshua means, you know, Yahweh is salvation, which is you know, pretty amazing to, to look back on. But the, the hearing of my name snapped me out of this reality that I created based on guilt and shame. And I, I didn't come to Christ, but I, I fled from the life that I was living. And then I went through this two year period of. I got into the fitness industry. I started coaching, but same mentality. I got to be the best. I got to make the most money. Got to be the most successful. I got to get, you know, the, I got to get more credentials so that I feel accredited. You know, I, I, I often say I, I tried to put enough good dirt on my bad dirt so I didn't feel dirty. <laughs> so um, that was the way I was living. And then um, I met this girl, the prettiest girl I've ever seen. And um, we, we go on this walk and I told her, I'm like, hey, you don't want anything to do with me. You know, I'm, I've, I've done all these things. And for the first time I was honest, I told her like, here are the things that I've done in my life. 
And she looked me in the eye and said, well, a person's not defined by the worst thing they've ever done or the greatest thing they'll ever do. God defines who you are. Do you know him? And I, honestly, I thought that I did. I thought that I knew God because I believed that he existed and he created everything. But that's where my understanding stopped. And obviously, that's not where a relationship starts at all. And um, she challenged me with with uh, with grace and with truth. And uh, she invited me to church and went to church and I, I heard the gospel. And uh, it, it was it was beautiful. This uh, it was this dynamic between um, it's in First Samuel and this this conversation about Jonathan and David and Jonathan just died and David become king. And historically, the previous king was wiped out. And then David was actually saying, hey, is there is there anyone left out of the house of Saul? And they go and get Mephibosheth and bring him back. And Mephibosheth is like, hey, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just this dead dog. I'm like not worth anything. You're going to bring me back into your this kingdom. You're going to give me a seat at this table. You're going to restore my land. And then the pastor pivoted to guess what? Uh, Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So guess who's guilty? Everybody. Guess who's deserving of death? Everyone. But there's good news. Jesus came and he died for you and for me. And if you put your faith in him, his righteousness is bestowed upon you. You're credited with what he's done, his perfection. And I was just, I knew it to be true. Like I'm hearing, I, like in, like the spirit was wrestling with my heart. I knew it to be true. But what I couldn't reconcile was, gosh, um, why would God die for me? Like, why would God in flesh come and die for me? My own father doesn't want me. It didn't make sense to me. And then, you know, the, it, it was one of those times where if, if, if anyone, you know, anyone, most people have had a moment like this where they're sitting in either a conference or, you know, a, a church service and someone's speaking and the Holy Spirit illuminates something to you and it feels like, the pastor is preaching directly to them. Yep. And he he said something from Hebrews 12, and he was talking about it was with joy set before him that he endured the cross. So yes, Jesus was perfect in his obedience to the Father, but it was also love that sent him to the cross. God loves me. And like when I understood that, it wrecked me. <laughs> but it it, it was the thing that, like, gosh, the father that I was longing for my whole life, I had, and he was willing to go through anything. Yeah. Rescue me from myself. It's so good. Joshua, can you just lean into that even more? Just the, the a father's love. I think so many of our yeah. listeners are leading a generation that maybe have a one parent leading the household. Maybe they're have an absent father. Maybe they, maybe they don't even know their father, but there is a heavenly father who knows them, who created them, who loves them. What would you say to the leader who's listening today, whether they themselves grew up without a father or they're leading a fatherless generation? Like how, how can we love them where they're at and how can we encourage them as brothers and sisters in Christ, as pastors, as leaders, like, what what advice do you have for the listener who's like, yeah, half of my young adults don't have a dad? Mm. Yeah. For, I um, feel like I'm female. I can't be your dad. I can't be a spiritual father to you. But you know what I mean? Like, what do you have to say about the father's love in that regard? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the beauty. Like, if, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, you do have a father. And I, I love how 
um, Paul talks about, you know, the the nuances of Roman culture, like in Galatians, and it's talking about the, the beauty of adoption. So like if you're adopted, you're chosen, you're set apart, you can't be thrown to uh, thrown aside. And then there's things that you've, you've inherited. There are things that have been put away from you, debts that you owe that you don't owe anymore, but also there's treasure in heaven that is now you, you have access to that you didn't have access to before. But that's what's true. Like the most true thing about you is who you believe God to be. And if you understand that you do have that father that changes your identity. And if your identity is born out of I'm chosen, I'm set apart, like this is who I am. I have gifts and talents. He's numbered the hairs on my head. He knows everything about me. He's gone behind me and before me and he's with me. That's how much he loves me. Like he knows me. He truly knows me and he's for me. And yeah. he won't leave me or forsake me, regardless of if you've been forsaken by your earthly father, if you've been abandoned by your earthly father, God will not leave you. And it's deeper than that because he created you. He knows everything about you. And if you want to know who you are, lean into who he is and you'll discover things about yourself that you've never known before. And, and that's what I would encourage you to see, like the, the thing that you're longing for. Like in the garden, like in Genesis, it's it's like we see you're you're designed to have this relationship with God, but God understands that we have this innate desire for intimacy, and He gives us the a partner and in a wife. And, and if you don't have that, that like that that doesn't mean you're incomplete. If you're if you're someone in a season of singleness and you're searching for something you don't have and you feel incomplete because you don't have a spouse, guess what? There's something greater that you have access to that's going to allow you to understand who you are so that you can become the spouse that you're seeking after. Good. It's like the thing, the greatest thing you could ever experience is intimacy with the father. So that, that that's what I would say to the person that feels less than. There's, there's more for you that you could ever hope, dream, or imagine, and it's found in intimacy with God. So good. Oh, my word. You know, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of yeah. our testimony, and yeah. it, it's the blood of Jesus. And then I just thank you so much, Joshua, for sharing mm-hmm. your testimony of, of the goodness of God and His marvelous yeah. deeds in your life. Yeah. And I'm reminded of this quote from... Timothy Keller, it's in a, his book, The Meaning of Marriage. And he mm-hmm. said, to be loved, but not known is comforting, but superficial. To yeah. be known, but not loved is our greatest fear. To be fully known and truly loved as well, a lot like being loved by the father. It is what we need more than anything. Mm-hmm. It liberates us from pretense humbles us out of self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. And that just fires Mm -hmm. me up. That's my story. That's your story. That's the gospel of Jesus and the hope that we find in him. And just yesterday, Mike and I were tag team preaching at um, a college, a university chapel, and we just talked about Gideon. And your story, Joshua, reminds me of like his name. Mm, he yeah. he thought his name was the less than the least of his entire tribe or his clan. Yeah. Then he met the angel of the Lord face to face. And God goes, rise up, mm. mighty man of valor. And when you talked about your name, Joshua, being it's yeah. Yahweh who saves, 
I'm like, that's your moment mm-hmm. where it's like, rise up, man of valor. And yeah. you know what? It's like, God, go. you go in the strength that God gives you. It's not something you muster up courage on your own. Right. It's the living, breathing power of the Holy Spirit that enables us for every good endeavor. And I'd be so curious your passion for the next generation. And if you can, we love to ask every guest this on the show. Why do you believe discipling young adults and young adult ministry? Why is that so vital? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the very, very reason we exist. We, we exist to be disciples. Like we, we don't exist to disciple. We are disciples. So it's, it's not, you know, what we do is who we are. Because if, if you're following Christ, it's like you are my disciples. And in but the byproduct of being a disciple is to disciple others, um, so that we can share, you know, the, the 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 gospel to the ends of the earth. But I would say, um, just to something you said earlier, it made me think like one of my favorite verses is John sixteen thirty three, and it's talking about you know I, I've told you all these things so that you know in me you can have peace, and in this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulations. You know, but take heart or be of good courage. Um, I, I, I like uh, I, I have a tattoo that says uh, choose courage because courage is not something you either have or you don't. It's something you have access to in the person of Christ. So like, man, it, it makes me think, gosh, there's so many times in your life where you will face trouble. You will face tribulation because if you are following. When Jesus, guess what? The world hates you. You will face trouble. There will be pushback. We live in a broken world. So we're, we're, we're called to, you know, be carriers of that word of reconciliation. So we're called to go into chaos. And of course, we're going to experience tribulation in chaos, but we can have courage not in of ourselves. We can have courage in the one who overcome. And we can walk into those situations with courage, not because of who we are, because of what Christ has done on the cross. But, um, man, I would just say discipling. Um, is one of the things I'm most passionate about because that's the thing that changed my life. I gave my life to Christ. And three days after that, I walk into a church. And I'm like, hey, I got a story to share. <laughs> and I sit down and I share my story with this pastor. And um, it, it was it was pretty amazing because he had just moved. He just finished uh, a residency at, D, at DT. Like he was at DTS. And he was also like at the Watermark Institute, like yep. working with JP. Yep. And um, he moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and he was going to help launch this campus. So he had like more free time than normal. So I, you know, we spent some time together and I just fell in love with the Bible. And he was an, he, he is a phenomenal teacher and he discipled me. So what that looked like was um, him spending 10, 15, 20 hours a week sometimes wow. for about three years. Just walking with me, like, like here's you know we, we we went through the book of John, we went through Ephesians, and then like he you know he he just like he he just like spent time with me, and the thing was he taught me how to study the Bible, which reading the Bible and studying the Bible are two different things, and we need we need to do both of them, um, and by understanding how to study the Bible, I started to have a deeper understanding of who God was. And through understanding who God was, I can understand who I'm not and who I am. Yeah. Wow. Through dismantling. So it's like, I, I love like, you know, t- like 2 Timothy 3.16, it's like scripture is good for uh, rebuking, teaching, all these things, but like reproof, 
dismantling, destroy, to, to dismantle and destroy lies. And when you come to Christ, there's things that you've learned that are not true about you. And if you believe lies about yourself until you dismantle and destroy those things and not just dismantle and destroy them, you have to replace them with truth. Yep. So you have to you have to understand that, okay, this is a lie, but also this is what is true. And I have to replace that thing that um, Thomas Kempis has this this quote about habits where, you know, habits replaced with habit. Right. So you can't just stop doing something if, if there's, you know, this. You know, how, how do I how do I step into this gap of my time? If I, if I normally spend, you know, X amount of time like doing this thing, I can't just stop doing that and just have this void of yeah. time in my life. Because, you know, th- if there's a void of time and I don't have a plan, it, I'm probably going to end up doing something maybe dumber. You know, <laughs> I, I know I would um, if I just had all this free time. I'm someone like the busier I am, the more productive I am. But um, it, it's like I have to replace the things that are detrimental in my life with the things that are beneficial in my life. And until I know what those things are, I'm not going to um, be able to, to, to walk in the fullness that, that God has for me. Yeah. Joshua, for the person who is maybe finding their t- time late at night, they're being tempted, they're being tested, they're being... I don't know, kind of sucked back into the vortex of whatever sin that could be. It could be pornography. It could be any form of addiction. And there's a lot of time being spent there. How do we as leaders or people who are struggling in that realm uproot that form of living, replace it with good and godly things? Because it doesn't happen overnight, right? We have to unlearn what we've taught ourselves to do to some degree and invite God into that situation. So how do we do that? And how do we invite the opportunity for um accountability in that process because accountability is essential when we need to overcome something in our life it's not just us versus the world how do we do that yeah so i'm not not so his name's andrew yates and not only did he disciple me um he he called me into accountability and what that looked like was you know calling me up and calling me out both encouraging me and giving me a kick in the butt when I needed it. <laughs> and what that looked like on a practical basis for me, um, every Friday uh, we would have what we called hot conversations, honest, open and transparent. And he would ask me, you know, how's my thought life? You know, how, like, like it's, it's one thing to walk in purity and on, on the practicality of like, am I watching pornography? Um, like, am I doing things I shouldn't be doing, but what's my thought life like? Because if you can get to the root that is where the fruit is. If I can get to the root where it's not, it's not that I'm watching pornography. It's why am I saying yes to watching pornography? You know, like g- going back to like Romans seven, it's like, why do I do the things that I, I don't want to do? And why do I struggle to do the things that I want to do? It's like, well, well, number one, I have a sin nature that I have to wrestle with. I have to wrestle with sin. And for me, it was having people in my life that I could be just radically honest with. Because you're only as free as you're honest. Wow. You're only as free and you're, as you're honest. And for me, it's like spending time with God, being satiated by God, saturated in the word of God, replacing those lies with truth. I mean, that's why scripture, you know, like scripture is a gate and it's a weapon. It prevents things from entering my life because I put up a gate because, okay, these things are not good for me. And then also it's a weapon to use against things that want to destroy me. 
Um, I, I just like for me, like the my go to verse is, is Titus 2 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self control, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for this blessed hope. And it goes on and it talks about how we we end up being a people eager to do what is good. You know, again, like the, the end of the end of Romans 12, too, it's what's like, you know, I'm either being conformed by the world or transformed by the renewing of my mind. And, it, and it's but why? Why do I want to do this? So that I can know what is God's good, perfect and pleasing will. I, I want to know what is good. I want to walk in, in, in the ways that are best for me because God wants to protect me and he wants to propel me. He wants to use me, you know, um, and, and that's a gift. But I can only be a, a vessel, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, gosh, I forget what verse it is, but it talks about how uh, there's some um, there's some instruments of wood and clay and some of gold and silver. But it's talking about like the level of your purity will impact the level of your effectiveness. And it's like, gosh, don't you want to be an effective member of the body? Yeah, of course you do. You desire that. But how you do that is I have to choose self-control. I have to choose holiness. And does that mean perfection? No, but I have to be on a conquest to pursue the things of God and mm-hmm. dwell in the place of God so that yeah. I can understand who I am and who I'm not. That's so good. It reminds me, sorry, I, I have one thing that Josiah says, and I think we had this conversation and we always come back to this in when we mentor people or we're speaking to a group of people, just, just to put out like a personal awareness. If you were the enemy, how mm. would you take yourself out? Mm. Oh. If you can answer that question, honestly, to yourself and do a self-reflection, like, oh, it's men. Oh, it's eating. Oh, it's a lack of exercise. It's it's laziness. It's whatever it is. If we can identify what that is, that's when we know how to put the gate up. That's when we know how to do exactly what you're saying. If we can identify if I were the enemy, how would I take me out? Because just as much as God knows our weaknesses and our strengths and how he created us, the enemy knows those weaknesses just as much. So that's how he's going to come at us. And I think sometimes we think that when we're in a whatever form of sin or we're wrestling and struggling with something, we think one thing, two things. One, we're the only one. And two, the enemy has is up to something new. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He's not up to something new. It's the same silly tactics and traps. And it's just a different person he's attacking, but it's the same, it's the only thing he knows how to do. But when yeah. we tap into the heavenly realms and we can identify what is our weakness, what how would we take ourselves out if we were the enemy coming after ourselves? Wow, that's when I get to say, when that door is knocking, God, you're going to grab that door. I'm not even going to see what's on the other side of it. So putting up those gates, yeah. those barriers, and having scripture written on our heart to combat our mind, our feelings, our emotions, recognizing that there is a war going on between flesh and spirit. And we need to learn how to die to self daily. And for some Amen. of us who are really wrestling, it could be moment by moment. It could be minute by minute, hour by hour, and they just have to hang on to what they know is true. So, Josiah, what do you got? Sorry. Yeah, I, I would just say, like, to, to, your, to what you said, like, I think what you said is so valuable, like, for, you know, the, the young leader out there or, like, even the leader that feels like they're on an island because there's so many people in this digital age that has – you know, exponential influence and you're growing and you're, you know, you're understanding theologically and you're, you're crafting your ability to speak. 
and you have all these coaches and you have all these people speaking in your life, but who really knows you? Right. Like to your point, because if I'm not self-aware, I can't be obedient. I need someone that is that is willing to stab me in the front, but I need to have someone in my life that knows what's on my back. That's good. That is so, so powerful. And whenever we have a conversation like this, what I don't want the listener to feel is that they only have hope. You have hope, you have habits, and you have the Holy Spirit. Right. And micro habits have a massive compound effect. They really, yeah. especially in the power of the same power that can set us free is the same power that can keep us free with the Holy Spirit. And two of the things that you're working on, I think could be really great next steps. We'll link to both of them in the show notes. One of them is the unmentionable podcast that's in process and available. The other comes out in just a few short days. And it's a book that you're writing and it's about to go out to the world. Seven lies that will ruin your life and what your journey from porn star to preacher has taught you about the truth mm. that set us free. Oh, you've got it right there. Let's see. Yeah, even better. There hey. we go. There we go. Can you just share the message of that book and like, what's your hope for the listener today? Yeah. So, so for me, it's uh, really the, the, the nucleus of the book is Romans 12 too. It's like, you know, there, there were lies that I believed to be true. And if you believe a lie to be true, it's true to you. And believing that lie was detrimental to my life. But what changed the, 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 the way that I was living, how I was living, the way I felt was the word of God superseded, dismantled, destroyed that lie. And it gave me access to truth to the person of Jesus. And I want that for you. And I would say the the main message that I'm most excited about of the book is the last chapter and, it, and it's called hijacked healing. And for me, um, I, it's hard not to get emotional, but, um, for me, um, being a father, not experiencing having a father and that being, um, I, I don't want to invalidate anyone's trauma, the, the things that have happened to you, they absolutely did hurt. They absolutely did impact the way that you see yourself, but what is most true about you is who God is and how he sees you and who he says you are. And for me, I believed for most of my life that if I would have had a father, my life would have been differently and my life would have been different. And I blame the things that I did on him, even on this side of heaven. Um, and, And I think that the level of your consecration is going to be in step with your level of repentance and if I repent, God, I'm, I, you know, I, I repent of the, all these things that I've done is different than God. I repent of blaming my father for me upon my own volition, doing the things that I've done. Lord, I lay myself at your feet. I repent. I've, I, I have sinned against you. So my book ends with an apology letter to my father saying, I forgive you. I trust God with the debt and I, and, and, and I forgive you. And I'm sorry that I tried to put that on you. And I, Father God, I repent. May I turn back to you. May I make a 180 degree turn away from the way that I saw myself in, in lieu of blaming him for the things I did. 
purify me so that I'm a vessel that's worthy of your work. So I mean that that's probably like the the most passionate thing that's in this book. My gosh, I did not know that part of the book or the journey, the story. But what it reminds me of is unforgiveness can fester into bitterness. And I think that like Mm -hmm. what's crazy is that unforgiveness puts a wedge to where we're not in right standing with God or with people. And it's because we're forgiven that we have the power to forgive. And I remember I was hurt in a season. And one of the things that God spoke to me is that I don't need to be in close standing with everyone, but I need to be in right standing. And what you did of Mm -hmm. apologizing and forgiving, oh my gosh, such freedom is is found when we're able to move to a place of forgiveness. And are you up for a place where we go the last five minutes, five rapid fire questions just to get to know you a little better? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Question number one, Joshua, what has God been teaching you lately? Um, that I'm not as far along as I thought I was, and that's okay. That's good. Yeah. You can all relate probably to that one. Off, yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> the curveball right off the bat is number two. If you could ask Mike and I anything, I know we're newer friends, still getting to know each other, but if you could learn one thing about us today, what would you want to know? Yeah, I would say um, what... My question would be, what would you ask yourself or what would you tell yourself if you were about to, you know, about to be married? So talking to yourself, what what advice would you give to yourself? Your, you know, months from being married, what do you both need to know that you wish you would have known before? I think mine is a question that Micah actually asked me when we were either dating or engaged. And she just asked, hey, is there anything that you have as a goal or a dream that you want to achieve or accomplish in your singleness that you need to do now so you don't resent a wife and a family in the future? Mm. And I thought it was so powerful. I was like a couple months away from finishing my grad school and I couldn't think of anything. Like some people might say like travel or whatever, but I was like, man, I've wanted a wife. I've wanted a kid. You can travel as a family. Like I couldn't come up with anything. from your vacation. (laughs) But it's amazing how many young adults will tell me, I just want what you have, meaning a wife and kids, Mm -hmm. when it's easy to to resent like, oh man, I I wish I had more free time or me time like I did when I was single. But it's Mm -hmm. like, it's it's so funny how we, if we're not careful, we begin to resent the thing that we prayed for. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's a, that is a word. And that is true in every season, like regardless of what you, what you look like, you know, what your life looks like, like if you allow your heart to, because that's the way it's wired, you know, it's, you know, Jeremiah talks about that, you know, it's, it's deceitful in the way that your heart will try to deceive you, deceive you yeah. is that you have everything that you prayed for. And you have nothing to, you know, be resentful about. Yet you will find yourself in this place where it's like I, I'm longing for something I don't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you see? Oh man, I think we did this in our marriage. And one thing that we wanted to do was we wanted to begin with the end in mind. And I think when you when we literally sat in on our honeymoon in Hawaii, writing down where do we want to be 
at age 70, 80, if God lets us live that long, how do we want to live and leg- live and leave a legacy larger than ourselves? And I think when you can start building and living a legacy prior to marriage, as a female, I've run into so many women who think that a man is going to complete them wow. when a man yeah. is going to complement who God created you to be. And hopefully you get to be doing that for him. So I would just encourage any person who's engaged or even my previous self of just don't start living. Once you get married, you start living the moment yeah. breath in your lungs. And when you start hoping, when you start, I run into so many women. So I just say it like this, there's so many women that want to be married yesterday that they don't realize that singleness is a gift and that no. marriage is a gift. And they stop living in false hope of somebody who does not even know their name and they already have their entire future with them planned and they've never even met whether they're literally sitting in the classroom or they're living in la la land just dreaming thinking that he's gonna arrive on the front step i would just say start living and leaving a legacy in your singleness so when your name is brought up and then it is attached to your future spouse nothing negative can be said about you because god you know god honors that so that's what I would say. <laughs> That's good. Okay, back to you. Question three: What's one hobby you do for fun? Ooh. Uh, I'm I'm a bit of a masochist, so I I love like I love CrossFit. Um, and I think what what I like about CrossFit is that um it you know it, I I love doing what is called uh, threshold training, and ultimately it's like I'm gonna push myself to the point you know like here you know, if if I can maintain a seven it's not uncomfortable, but if I maintain an eight, that's going to hurt. So like, there's something about like doing something that is slightly uncomfortable and I want to stop, but I don't, um, it's, it's good for me (laughs) emotionally. Um, so for me, I, I love that. So basketball, CrossFit, um, I love writing. Um, and then like with my wife, like we like anytime we're traveling, we love to go like we never like go on Yelp. We always will like go and like find someone that kind of looks like like, OK, maybe they live here. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, excuse me, do you happen to live here? It, it, like, and then ask uh, if, if you were looking for this type of cuisine, like where would you go? And in and, like it almost I, I don't I don't think I can think of a time where we didn't end up eating something awesome. Uh, so love food, love trying like, you know, bakeries and coffee shops and stuff like that. But that's one of our favorite things to do. Okay. If you could go on a road trip with your wife and or family, take everyone if you want, where would you go? And what is one of your favorite snacks that you have to bring? Uh, so my, my wife makes uh, like, uh, like a, a trail mix. I feel like every time you find a trail mix, it's like, I wish that there wasn't one thing in there or i wish there was one thing in there so she makes them um so my wife uh her her family is from iowa and uh we like i love road trips because i get to talk to my wife uninterrupted (laughs) so uh, we often will drive from dallas to iowa we're actually doing that in a few weeks but um we do that you know several times a year so i love road trips because i get her in the front seat all to herself all to myself and um, so some kind of like, like it's like nuts and Cheez-Its and, and all kind of like random things, but that's our, our snack of choice. That's good. So fun. We're just one f- state further in Minnesota. Yeah. We're pretty close by. Um, there we go. Man, last 
question is if we handed you the microphone and asked you to give the listener today one piece of encouragement, what would you want them to know? Yeah, I, I would want them to know, uh, regardless of what's happened to you, regardless of what you, you've done, um, that, it is, that doesn't define you. And there's a God that loves you and wants to restore and redeem you. And there's nothing that you could ever do to disqualify yourself from the love that God has for you. And if and if not, like you do something, if you receive something that you don't deserve, which is his love, which was personified in Jesus on the cross. If you understand, if you like really understand that, like not know it, but like really understand it, it will change your life. And everything you think you know and everything you think you want to do, um, it'll melt away. And everything that you've ever struggled with, it'll make more sense. So good. Well, thank you so much, Josh. And we just appreciate you taking time with us and our audience. And oh, what a blessing you are. So thank you for sharing your story. If you want to find out more about Joshua Broom and his book coming out and the podcast that they're working on behind the scenes, check out the show notes. The-